have never been directed to do anything I believe to be illegal, immoral, unethical, or inappropriate. And to the best of my recollection, during that same period of service, I do not recall ever feeling pressured to do so. I will do what is necessary to prevent this threat from spreading to our shores and work every single day to protect the safety and security of our country. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast, Wednesday, June 7, 2017. Anything going on in the news today? <laughs> There's a lot going on. Uh, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, try to do these as much as we can lately. A lot going on, but uh, we have to get on today. There's just uh, so much news going on. Uh, let's get into all of that with uh, the uh, testifying on Capitol Hill today. James Comey, the former FBI director, to testify tomorrow, and that's what has all you know Washington. Uh, in a tizzy, you know, all the cable news channels hyping this up. We're not going to get much out of Comey tomorrow because he's told us everything under oath already. Uh, by the way, interview later with, um, after we'll take a break and we'll come back with the interview with uh, the author of Yappy Days, an old tell, uh, tell-all book about um, the radio insiders, some of the hosts, uh, a lot of uh, very interesting stories about uh, egos, and a friend of mine, Bernadette Duncan Harrison, is on the program uh, later on, so if you're interested in uh, radio personalities and TV people and uh, the egos that go on behind the scenes, we get into that later, but uh, let's get into the news to start. Um, President Trump uh, it was made clear today, under oath, despite all the media stories and all the allegations and all the unnamed sources that are out there, he never pressured investigators. Let me, I'm going to play you a lot of clips today to show you what was, what has been said under oath, including today, and the media, well, they just can't handle it. They still try to draw up all these unnamed sources, and it's funny, it's like, it's almost as if they trust unnamed sources over our intelligence community, top intelligence officials who have said under oath there, Trump has never pressured them to drop the Russian investigation. There was also no evidence of collusion. And, well, the leaking and unmasking, probably a bigger story. So we're going to have that all covered for you today. Uh, earlier this morning, NSA Director Mike Rogers, Admiral Mike Rogers, and the Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coates, they testified, this is the longest clip that we have today, uh, seven minutes. They testified today. They were asked, did President Trump ever pressure you? Did anyone from the White House ever say, drop the Russia investigation? Was there corruption going on? You're going to find out there was not. In your experience, would it be in any way typical for a president to ask questions or bring up 
an ongoing FBI investigation, particularly if that investigation concerns associates and individuals that might be associated with the president's campaign or his activities? Would so today I am not going to talk about theoreticals. I am not going to discuss the specifics of any interaction or conversations I may or can may you, not. Can if, you if I could finish yes, it, please. That I may or may not have had with the president of the United States, but I will make the following comment. In the three plus years that I have been the director of the National Security Agency, to the best of my recollection, I have never been directed to do anything I believe to be illegal, immoral, unethical, or inappropriate. And to the best of my recollection, during that same period of service, I do not recall ever feeling pressured to do so. But had, in, in your course prior to the incident that we're going to discuss, was it in any regular course where a president would ask you to comment or intervene in any ongoing FBI investigation? Not talking about this circumstance, but yes, sir, any that, prior experience? I'm not going to talk about theoreticals today. Well, let me ask you specifically, did the president, the reports that are out there, ask you in any way, shape or form, to back off or downplay the Russian investigation? I'm not going to discuss the specifics of conversations with the President of the United States, but I stand by the comment I just made to you, sir. Is, do you feel that, that those conversations were classified? We know that this, there was an ongoing FBI investigation. Yes, sir. There are press reports. Yes, sir. Um, I understand your answer. I'm, I'm disappointed with that answer, but I may <coughs> indicate, and I, I told you I was going to bring this up, sir. there is, we have facts that there were other individuals that were aware of the call that was made to you, aware of the substance of that call, and that there was a memo prepared because of concerns about that call. Will you comment at all? I about stand the by the comments that I have made to you today, sir. So you will not confirm or deny the existence of a memo? I stand by the comments I have made to you today, sir. I think it will be essential, Mr. Chairman, that, we, that other individual who served our country as well with great distinction, who is no longer a member of the administration, uh, has a chance to relay his, his version of those facts. Again, I understand yes, your position, but I hope you'll also understand the enormous need for the American public to know you've got the administration saying there's no there there, we have these reports, and yet we can't get confirmation. I want to go to you, Director Coates. Um, when you appeared before SASC, you said, and I quote, if called before the investigative committee, I certainly will provide them with what I know and what I don't know. I have great respect for you. You served on, on this committee. I remember as well when we confirmed you, and I was proud to support your confirmation. You said that you would cooperate with this committee in any aspects that we request of the Russia investigation. We now have press reports, and you can lay them the rest if they're not true, but we have press reports of not once but twice that the President of the United States asked you to either downplay the Russia investigation or to directly intervene with Director Comey. Can you set the record straight about what happened or didn't happen? Well, Senator, as I uh, responded uh, to a similar question uh, during my confirmation and, and uh, in a second hearing uh, before the committee, I do not feel it's appropriate for me to, in a public session, um, in which uh, confidential uh, conversations between the president and myself. I don't believe it's appropriate for me to uh, address that uh, in a public session. 
Gentlemen, I, I understand. I, I stated that before, and I, I, well, I thought you that. also said, Sask, if brought before the investigative committee, you would, quote, certainly provide them with what I know and what I don't know. We are before that investigative committee. Well, I stand by the, my previous statement that we are in a, a public session here, and I do not feel that it's appropriate for me to address uh, confidential information. Most of the information I've shared with the president obviously is directed toward intelligence matters uh, during our uh, oval briefings uh, uh, every morning at the at the white house or most mornings with both the president and i'm in town um, but for intelligence related matters or any other matters that have been discussed um, uh, it is my uh, belief uh, that it's inappropriate for me to uh, share that with the public gentlemen I, I respect all of your service and i understand and respect your commitment to the administration you're serving. Um, we will have to bring forward that other individual about whether the existence of the memo that, uh, that may document some of the facts that took place in the conversation between the President and Admiral Rogers. But I would only ask as we go forward, um, this will be my final comment, Mr. Pre uh, Mr. Chairman, that um, we also have to weigh in here the public's absolute need to know. They're wondering what's going on. They're wondering what type of activities. We see this pattern that they want to know about healthcare. without confirmation or denial appears that the president not once, not twice, but we will hear from Director Comey tomorrow, this pattern where the president seems to want to interfere or downplay or halt the ongoing investigation, not only the Justice Department is taking on, but this committee is taking on. And I hope as we move forward on this, you'll realize the importance that the American public deserves to get the answers to these questions. Thank you, Mr. President. Well, Senator, I would like to respond to that, if, if I could. Uh, first of all, I, I'm always, I, I told you and I committed to the committee that I would be available to uh, testify before the committee. I don't think this is the appropriate venue to do this in given that this is an open hearing and a lot of confidential information um, relative to intelligence or other matters, uh, I, I just don't feel it's appropriate for me to do that in this situation. And then secondly, um, when I was uh, asked yesterday to respond to uh, a piece that I was told was going to be written and printed in the Washington Post this morning, uh, my response uh, to that was in uh, my time of service, which is uh, in interacting with the President of the United States uh, or anybody in his administration, I have never been pressured. I have never felt pressure uh, to uh, intervene or interfere in any way and shape with shaping intelligence in a political way uh, or um, in, in relationship to an ongoing investigation. That's uh, DNI, Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coach. Before that, Admiral Mike Rogers, the NSA director. President Trump did not pressure investigators, despite the media reports. And it's, it's pretty sad that senators in the room who have access to oversight and to some form of you know classified information and can uh, bring in uh, investigators for private hearings to find out more about classified uh, information and interactions with the president. They would rather bring up media reports from the failing New York Times, from the unfair Washington Post, from all of these news sources that are using unnamed sources, okay, in the deep state in Washington. They would rather use these unnamed sources 
these are senators who are quoting these news reports when they can have a private conversation with Dan Coats. They can have a private conversation with the NSA director and find out what their conversations were with the president. Instead, they are grandstanding. They are going out there and trying to put on this public display, which the media hypes up and they get all excited. Oh, we may find out maybe President Trump was colluding. Maybe he did pressure them. And what do we find out? President Trump never pressured us. Okay. It was frankly boring. There was nothing exciting about this hearing today. But they're hyping up the call me thing tomorrow, and there's been multiple leaks and information out there, and a little more because call me did release what his opening statements are going to be, which they're trying to draw up something. And the headline today, by the way, from the media, from a couple of sources, um, is President Trump, or excuse me, uh, the uh, investigators refused to say that Trump never pressured them. They didn't refuse to say that. They said that they were never pressured. There's a huge difference between the NSA director and other intelligence officials like DNI Dan Coates refusing to say something and them saying they were not pressured. There's a big difference there. The media is trying to portray that the investigators are not telling the truth. They only trust the investigators when they say Hillary Clinton is not a criminal. They don't trust the investigators when they say, and they've all said under oath, and this is why we're playing all these clips today, they have all said under oath there's no evidence of collusion, and President Trump never pressured them to drop the investigation. Even Comey, and we'll get into it later because there's a lot of misinformation, even Comey will say tomorrow that Trump did not collude with Russia and that um, Trump did not pressure him to impede the investigation. And the acting FBI director, Andrew McCabe, uh, last month he said that President Trump did not impede the investigation. He was asked by Senator Marco Rubio that question. Mr. McCabe, uh, can you, without going to the specific of any individual investigation, I think the American people want to know, has the dismissal of Mr. Comey in any way impeded, interrupted, stopped, or negatively impacted any of the work, any investigation, or any ongoing projects at the Federal Bureau of Investigations? As you know, Senator, <clears throat> the work of the men and women of the FBI continues despite any um, changes in circumstance, any decisions. Um, so there has been no effort to impede our investigation to date. Quite simply put, sir, you cannot stop the men and women of the FBI from doing the right thing, protecting the American people, and upholding the Constitution. That is the acting FBI director, Andrew McCabe. President Trump did not impede the investigation, and they also said that they would say whether they did. Now, the former FBI director, James Comey himself, has said that President Trump did not get in the way in the investigation, but there's been media reports, well, Comey, uh, this is last week, that they were reporting, and Comey may say that Trump got in the way of the investigation and these memos, which the New York Times published a report that showed these memos that Comey wrote, and we don't even know if they're, they exist, because the New York Times did not even read the memos, and they published this unsubstantiated report, this article from hearsay, from some sort of leak, and maybe he came within the call me camp because he's trying to save face and save his reputation, and he's always inserted himself into in the political realm since he was nominated and appointed by President Barack Hussein Obama. 
He's always inserted himself into politics. Instead of staying away from it and having private conversations and putting classified information and, and doing his job covertly, which we're not even supposed to know the name of the FBI director, folks. I mean, since when do we know... Uh, since when does an FBI director's name become a household name that people are talking about around the dinner table? That's supposed to be covert. That's not. People are not supposed to, you know, know off the top of their head that James Comey is the FBI director. That's fault number one. Okay, that he has gotten himself into the spectrum that he's almost a celebrity because of all of this crap. Okay, so now. Call me tomorrow if he were to say anything different from what he said under oath in the past, it would be perjury. But this is what he's already said under oath. James Comey, folks. But yeah, we work with the Department of Justice on all of our investigations. So if the Attorney General or senior officials at the Department of Justice opposes a specific investigation, can they halt that FBI investigation? In theory, yes. Has it happened? Not in my experience, because it would be a big deal to tell the FBI to stop doing something that, without an appropriate purpose. I mean, we're oftentimes, they give us opinions that we don't see a case there, and so you ought to stop investing resources in it. But I'm talking about a situation where we were told to stop something for a political reason. That would be a very big deal. It's not happened in my experience. It did not happen in his experience. Nobody tried to stop an investigation. Now, did President Trump possibly say something about Flynn in a casual way? Possibly. We'll get into that. But right now, these are all the top officials who have said there's no evidence of collusion. Trump never pressured them. Th these are the facts, folks. This is what we know. I'm boiling it down for you. Now, uh, John Brennan, the former CIA director, he also said nobody pressured anybody to drop an investigation. Take it from him. John Brennan. What did you uh, fall upon a... a comment that I made in the opening statement, uh, and that is with respect to a number of the allegations that have been made recently uh, that the president or his aides may have sought to enlist the help of members of the IC or Director Comey himself to drop the Flynn investigation. Uh, have any members of the IC shared with you uh, their concerns that the president was attempting to enlist the help of people within the intelligence community to drop the Flynn investigation? No, sir. Um, are you aware of any uh, efforts the President has made to enlist the support of inter, uh, intelligence community personnel to push back on uh, a narrative involving the collusion issue that Mr. Rooney was asking about? I am unaware of it. Okay, so there you go. The former CIA director, no pressure to drop the Flynn investigation. All right, so all of this strewn up media conspiracy just does not hold weight. When are we going to stop grandstanding and worry about the issues that we're going to talk about a little bit later on? Healthcare, tax reform, defeating ISIS. All of these top intelligence officials have also testified under oath that ISIS will infiltrate open borders. We still have open borders. Okay, so it's time for Congress to get off their high horses, get off their grandstanding and national TV, and get to work. Now, speaking of getting on TV and, and getting praised for what they're doing, James Clapper, he is the former director of national intelligence. Now, he has also testified, and I'll play that in a second, along with the Democrats who, even though they're trying to play with this Russia conspiracy, it is not holding weight, and the Democrats even admit it. But James Clapper, the former director of national intelligence, uh, went on—he uh, was in Australia yesterday— 
and he made these comments comparing the Russia situation to Watergate, and this is where, okay, I mean, he's lost his mind. For someone who is supposed to be a top intelligence official, a former top intelligence official now, okay, he's supposed to stick to facts. He's not supposed to give opinion. But now, because he's not in an intel position, he feels like he can give his opinion, clearly did not support Trump, as 97% of Washington didn't, which, okay, we get it, Trump wants to drain the swamp. He wants you having term limits. He wants accountability. And not people running away with power, especially our intel officials who were not elected, who were appointed, and have long tenures in Washington. And this is a perfect example of someone who's now going to be praised by the media because he compared Trump's situation to Watergate. Because he now can say whatever he wants because he has bears no responsibility. But the fact remains that he said under oath and while he was in position of power— that, well, the fact is there is no evidence of collusion. But this is what Clapper says in Australia yesterday. Russia embarked on a campaign to interfere with our presidential election, which was unprecedented in its directness and aggressiveness. The Russians have a long history of interfering in elections, theirs and other people's. They've tried to interfere in our elections going back to the 60s. But let me stress never like this, like they did in 2016. Apart from the infamous hacking of the Democratic National Committee, their campaign had many other dimensions. Social media trolls planning false information, orchestrated fake news, which many other news outlets picked up and amplified either wittingly or unwittingly. And a very sophisticated campaign by the regime-funded propaganda arm, the RT, broadcasting arm, against Hillary Clinton and for Donald Trump. This is not, let me stress, fake news. The Russians are not our friends. They, and Putin specifically, despite his uh, disingenuous denials, are avowedly opposed to our democracy and values and see us particularly the United States, as the cause of all their problems and frustrations. I lived through uh, Watergate. I was uh, uh, on active duty then in uh, Air Force as a young officer, and um, it, was, uh, uh, it was a scary time, uh, but it was against the backdrop of all the, the post-Vietnam trauma as well, which seemed, at least in my memory, uh, amplified uh, as a backdrop, amplified the, uh, the crisis in our system uh, with Watergate. I, I have to say, though, that I think, uh, you know, compare the two, that Watergate pales, uh, really, uh, in my view, uh, as, as compared to what we're, uh, we're confronting now. How can you compare something that there's no evidence of to Watergate, okay, which there, I mean, that was a coordinated destruction of evidence. We don't even have evidence of anything yet, or maybe we'll never have evidence of anything. And he goes, and this is obviously in a declassified, he has no position of authority anymore, and this is what he comes out and says. And first of all, in what world, okay, when, whenever someone says, well, I've been doing this forever, well, my answer to that is, well, that doesn't mean that we, you know, then fix it, change it, 
okay? Just because you've done something forever doesn't make something right. So, oh, well, Russia's been hacking us since the 60s. Well, that really isn't comforting. And why isn't our cybersecurity capabilities greater now? We have a massive cyber warfare going on. Okay, and also the fact remains, despite this leaked report, and again, we'll get into that in a second as well, because there's a, a leaker that should be prosecuted and jailed, um, and the, uh, the fact remains that no ballots were hacked, that no votes were changed. You know, if you voted for Trump like I did, you didn't vote for Trump because of Russia. Okay, no one told you from Putin didn't call me up and say we need you to vote for Trump. Okay, so throw that out of the water, okay, because that there's absolutely no evidence of that. There's evidence of illegal voting in favor of Hillary Clinton. We know that. About 800,000, from what we know, ballots were affected, okay, uh, being uh, illegal immigrant votes. And they are votes that come in uh, from across the border. That we know. Um, but we don't have any evidence of collusion. But Clapper can say that out in public— and the media eats it up, but what does he say under oath along with all the other Democrats who have also admitted that there is no evidence? Mr. Clapper, the former DNI, and we all know who he is, this is someone who should know. I want to read what he said just a few weeks ago. Uh, but Mr. Clapper then went on to say that to his knowledge, there was no evidence of collusion between members of the Trump campaign and the Russians. We did not conclude any evidence in our report. And when I say our report, that is the NSA, FBI, and CIA, with my office, the Director of National Intelligence, that had anything, any reflection of collusion between the members of the Trump campaign and the Russians. There was no evidence of that in our report. Was Mr. Clapper wrong when he said that? I think he's right uh, about character. The report, which you, you all have read. We did not include any evidence in our report, and I say our, that's NSA, FBI, and CIA with my office, the Director of National Intelligence, that had anything, that had any reflection of collusion between members of the Trump campaign and the Russians. There was no evidence of that included in, in our report. I understand that, but does it exist? Not to my knowledge. Can you say definitively that there was collusion? There were people affiliated with the Trump campaign who were working with Russians to time the release of damaging information about Hillary Clinton that had been, that had been hacked either from John Podesta or the DNC? Uh, I don't think we can say anything definitively at this now, point. Have you seen anything, either intelligence briefings, through intelligence briefings, anything to back up any of the accusations that sure. you've made? Well, first of all, don't forget that all of our intelligence agencies said yes. They have the documentation that they did the hacking. The hacking. On the DNC. Right. And on some of us, you know, that had But the collusion, it. though. No, we have not. But do you believe, do you have evidence that there was, in fact, collusion between Trump associates and Russia during the campaign? Not at this time. What's your view on any proof? Have you seen anything that suggests any collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign? Well, there's an awful lot of smoke there, let's put it that way. People that might have said they were involved, to what extent they were involved, to what extent the president might have known about these people or whatever. There's nothing there from that standpoint that we have seen directly linking uh, our president to any of that. 
So you just heard from, in the beginning, James Comey into Rolf, uh, the former FBI director. You heard from Clapper, the former director of national intelligence, and a Democrat who admit that there is no evidence of collusion, yet they jump all over this story as if it's, you know, it has legs. It has no legs because everybody under oath, as we just said, all intelligence officials, including the former FBI director James Comey, who's going to testify tomorrow, have said that President Donald Trump has never pressured investigators in any way regarding the Russia investigation. Intelligence chiefs also say that there was no evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Our intelligence agencies... Former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper and former Deputy Attorney, Attorney General Sally Yates. Now, they confirm, though, the unmasking of American citizens, including Trump campaign officials, which could have been for political reasons, and there's been reporting that shows that it was for political reasons, given the fact that vulnerable information was gleaned by a political adversary and former President Obama. And here is Sally Yates, the former Deputy Attorney General, and James Clapper, the former director of national intelligence, they admit the unmasking, which, by the way, if it's done for political reasons, has said under oath today, it is a crime punishable. It's uh, it's espionage. It's uh, a 10-year prison sentence. I want to discuss uh, unmasking. Uh, Mr. Clapper and Ms. Yates, uh, did either of you ever request the unmasking of Mr. Trump, his associates, or any member of Congress? Yes, in, in uh, one case I did. I can, I can specifically uh, recall, but I, I can't discuss it any further than that. You can't? So if I ask you for details, you said you can't discuss that? Is that what you said? Not not here. Okay. Ms. Yates, can you answer that question? Did you ever request unmasking of Mr. Trump, his associates, or any member of Congress? No. Uh, question two, did either of you ever review classified documents in which Mr. Trump, his associates, or members of Congress had been unmasked? Oh, yes. You have. Can you give us details here? In this no, episode? I can't. Ms. Yates, have you? Yes, I have, and no, I can't give you details. Okay. Did either of you ever share information about unmasked Trump associates or members of Congress with anyone else? Um, well, I'm thinking back over six and a half years, I could have discussed it with either my deputy or my general counsel. Okay, Ms. Yates? In the course of the Flynn matter, I had discussions with other members of the intel community. I'm not sure if that's responsive to your question. And in both cases, you can't give details here? No. No. Okay, so you have a situation where the unmasking, just to, uh, in case you haven't followed the podcast, it comes from incidental collection of uh, surveillance of uh, people who are in conversations with foreign actors. So, for example, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn had a conversation, which is not illegal, which he was preparing for the ambassador job, and he spoke with Ambassador Sergei Kislyak uh, of Russia. And he spoke with him on the phone. Well, any conversations of foreign officials are caught up in U.S. incidental surveillance, as 
uh, is customary. That's not a problem. That's from our NSA. That's from our FBI, CIA. No problem, right? Now, the, here's where the problem comes to light, that we shouldn't know that Lieutenant General Michael Flynn had this conversation because his name, number one, had to be quote-unquote unmasked. What does that mean? It means in intelligence reporting, his name should be blurred out. It should say American Citizen 1 had a conversation with Sergei Kislyak of Russia. Okay, so his name should have never been in the intel report. That's number one. So it had to be requested. There are only about 20 people in the intel agencies. That includes former NSA uh, advisor, um, National Security Advisor Susan Rice, who had peddled the Benghazi lie, who there was a report about, and she had said multiple conflicting things that she could have very well been the one that requested the unmasking. Now, remember, she's been anti-Trump. She is pro-Hillary Clinton, pro-Obama. She wants to bring down Trump. So why was she unmasking? What was the reason for it if she did? And there were and anyone like Comey or Clapper or, um, uh, or any of the top people you just heard from can unmask Sally Gates, okay? And they have to, in order to do that, would need a FISA warrant. Now... In 2011, the law changed. President Barack Obama changed the law so that it is very easy to obtain a foreign intelligence sur surveillance court order, a FISA order, so that they can uh, can lock into American citizens and surveil them for whatever reason. Now, it used to be you need probable cause, as it is for any search warrant. Now, for a FISA warrant, you only need to say it's for national security reasons, and, well, we can't talk about it, classified, uh, and so the judge gives it out. It's like a rubber stamp. Between fiscal year 2009 and fiscal year 2016, 99.8% of FISA applications requesting the authority to do electronic surveillance on foreign targets were approved. 12,177 FISA um, court orders were given out of 12,195 applications, 99.8%. It's basically rubber stamping. So they could have said, well, we need, a, we need to surveil Trump or we need to surveil Trump Tower. They get it. They get the warrants, okay? And that could have been for political reasons. We don't know that yet. We don't have the, uh, the data yet, but it seems like it was for political reasons. Here's some reporting for that. But you won't hear that from ABC or NBC or any of those networks. You're going to hear the Russia collusion story, okay? But they admit Sally Gates and James Clapper admit to unmasking for whatever reason. They can't talk about the national security reason. Well, don't we as the taxpayers have a right to know? Is government overreach? We know what the whole Snowden situation. They can go into your webcam. We find out WikiLeaks reveals CIA documents that show that we can, that they can view us through our phones, and that they can basically see anything that we're doing throughout the day and monitor us, which is dangerous, okay? Um, which uh, is, you know, is wrong. We need to have some sort of privacy in this country. There's a report Circa News put out that there's a lawsuit against former FBI Director Comey that he buried, allegedly, in an investigation into spying on Americans without probable cause that there was a, quote, pattern and practice of conducting illegal unconstitutional surveillance against millions of Americans, including prominent Americans, 
such as the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, other justices, judges, prominent businessmen, and others such as Donald Trump. This is what the suit alleges. All Americans should be concerned about the overreach of government, especially for political purposes mostly targeting conservatives, like the IRS scandal no one was prosecuted for, that targeted conservatives unfairly, that put them under tax audits. Furthermore, glorification of leaking will only harm U.S. national security by encouraging more traders to leak classified information for what they deem to be justifiable, such as bringing down the President of the United States. And so you have this situation where this accused leaker, Reality Winner, whatever, I mean, uh, kind of weird name, Reality Winner is her name. She's been arrested in Georgia. She worked for our, she was an Air Force veteran, worked for our uh, Intel agencies, somehow at 25 years old, an unabashed Bernie Sanders supporter, which you can see in her Twitter, she had access to classified information that she was able to email from her personal email account to the Intercept newspaper in England and other journalists. They published it, okay? This highly sensitive, not even sensitive, this is classified, confidential, top secret access program information, okay? That had information that obviously the media is going to focus on the substance of this. Since when did they talk substance? When it fits their agenda. Okay? And the substance was that, well, possible, that possibly ballots could have been affected. There's still the conclusion from all of our intelligences and uh, experts say that ballots were not affected, but Russia had some sort of phishing scheme. We don't even know if that's true. Okay? But some sort of report that was published in full by The Intercept. By the way, um, do, do they, I mean, they get a, get a pass because they're the media, First Amendment rights, uh, as was the case with Watergate, the New York Times and Washington Post. But what you're seeing now is a joint effort by all these media organizations to team up and destroy Trump. I mean, the Washington Post and the New York Times last month, they were sending Twitter notes back and forth. Okay, they're supposed to be rivals. They are colluding and publishing reports every day trying to play gotcha games and trying to undermine our president. And they focus on unnamed sources instead of all of the people in our intel agencies who have publicly said under oath there is no evidence of collusion. No one has said under oath otherwise. Okay? But they're still running with that story. Now, this accused leaker, reality winner, is facing espionage charges. Ten years in prison is what she faces for taking this classified document that she photocopied. She emails from her personal email account on her work computer. Now, she needs to be prosecuted and she needs to go to jail. Okay? There is no question about it. They need to go after leakers. She is just a small person in a deep state that is seeking to undermine the president because he wants to drain the swamp. He wants to get rid of the corruption. She thinks she's doing an important service to this country by leaking classified information that would tell our enemies what we know and when we know it. Okay? We shouldn't have... The public should not know this. This has to be... This is intelligence. Okay? And as a veteran, she should know better than the leak intelligence that puts us at a disadvantage. Okay? I mean... 
other countries, they must be laughing at us. And this is not about, you're going to hear from the parents in a second. This is not about setting an example. This is about doing what's right. The law says you do not leak classified information or you face jail time of 10 years in prison. You commit the crime, you do the time. And for a 25-year-old who is an unabashed Bernie Sanders supporter, why is she working in the Trump administration, in White House, in the, in, in the um, government? She doesn't belong there. If you oppose the president and you oppose everything he stands for, then why are you working for him? You have to put country above party. And this is where the leaking, okay, these people who work for us, they don't work for the Republican Party. They don't work for the Democratic Party or the Independent Party or the Green Party or whatever it may be. You work for us, the American people. Do what's right which means protect our secrets and put our interests first, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with the president. Th these are the parents that were on um, Anderson Cooper's program, AC360, on CNN last night. Reality winner, the uh, alleged leaker, the alleged uh, espionage uh, leaker, her parents, well, they want mercy for her. They were with Anderson Cooper on CNN last night. I don't care what they accused her of doing. I know that she she served her country. She's a veteran in the United States Air Force and served with distinction for six years. She's a patriot. And to see her maligned and slandered in the media is, is very disheartening. Um, this young lady has served her country well yeah. and received praise <coughs> from her commanders. And uh, she's still continued to serve after she got out of the Air Force. And I just want to say that if she did what she's being accused of, she is, I know that she's ready to pay the price. I know that she, she's, she's going to do whatever she needs to do to pay that price. Um, our fear, my, my biggest fear in, in all of this is that she's not going to get a fair, a fair trial. She's not going to be treated fairly. She's going to be made an example of. And, um, that's that's my biggest fear. Um, if she, you know, I know that if she if she did something wrong, she's always she's always come clean with it. She's she's always been willing to accept the consequences. Um, but I, I'm terrified for her right now because of the 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 news, the climate, the social media. I, I'm terrified that she is not going to be treated fairly. I haven't seen too many unfair things, okay? She deserves what she has coming to her because she committed a crime, allegedly. Now, here's the thing. Uh, the media is supporting her, okay? So I don't see, I mean, besides a few people, a few outlets, I don't see too much outrage. I see a lot of, yeah, good, good job. We're going to destroy Trump, okay? Because there are a lot of people in the media who believe it is their duty to release classified information uh, above the uh, construct of uh, supporting our country that they just believe is their duty to destroy Trump and to show that he's a crook, which he's not. Because if they had any evidence, he would have been impeached by now. So throw that away, okay? It, it, it's lunacy. But they're actually praising this leaker because they believe she did her service in this country. She's doing the right thing like Snowden, and they glorify these leakers. They committed crimes, okay? And what? And then when we find out from 
leakers from hackers, whatever, I mean, WikiLeaks, when we find out that they rigged the primary for Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders, that they give her debate questions, all the corrupt activities she was involved in with the DNC and selling State Department access, uh, taking money from all of these uh, countries who have no rights for women and throw Christians and Jews, they kill them, and they, they throw homosexuals off buildings, okay? When we find out that, it's not a story because, well, it's leaks. How can we verify it? But then when you have a leaker that exposes, potentially, something bad about Trump, it's, well, that's she's doing her service. You see the hypocrisy that will do anything to destroy Trump but anything that's against Hillary Clinton, who continues to blame everyone on this Blame Everyone tour, and it's not her fault, and it's Russia, and it's Comey, and it's misogyny, and it's... Who else's fault is it? <laughs> so, you know, okay, the hypocrisy that exists in the media. Um, and they just want to bring down Trump. Now, here's the other. The leaker has to be prosecuted. Has to, to the fullest extent of the law. It's not about making an example. It's about doing what's right. We have to crack down on these leaking and, and protect our own country. We're, we're making ourselves vulnerable here. And um, Eric Trump was on Sean Hannity's television show on Fox News Channel uh, last night. And, well, he made this comment. And, well, there was comparison to the Hillary Clinton uh, flip, you know, that she said um, uh, that we're all a basket of deplorables. Trump supporters are in a basket of deplorables. Well, this is what he had to say, and he's right. This is what Eric Trump had to say. Hey, Sean, how are well, don't you wish you went to Washington so you could be dealing with this every second of every day? You know what? I, I've never seen hatred like this. I mean, it, to me, they're not even people. It's it's so, so sad. I mean, morality's just gone. Um, morals have flown out the window. We deserve so much better than this as a You're country. Right. And, you know, it's so sad. You see the Democratic Party. They're imploding. They're imploding. They have no message. You see the head of the DNC, who was a total whack job. There's no leadership there. And so what do they do? They become obstructionists because they have no message of their own. They have no solid candidates of their own. They lost the election that they should have won because they spent seven times the amount of money that my father spent. They have no message. So what do they try and do? They try and obstruct a great man. They try and obstruct his family. They come after us viciously. They go after an 11-year-old kid in Baron Trump. And they say the nastiest things about him. And they, Kathy Griffin holds a, a picture, a fake photo of the president decapitated, to which Baron Trump thought that it was his actual father. Okay, you want to traumatize a kid? And so what Eric Trump said there was they're, quote, not people, right? They're not even people, whatever he said there. And, um, and then there was, well, how could you say that? It was similar to Hillary Clinton's basket deplorables comment. No, it's not. Because Hillary Clinton said this privately. Okay, here's the difference. And this is like a, a CNN story. And, and a lot of people are, are talking about this on social media today. When Hillary Clinton called Trump supporters basket deplorables, she meant it. Because she didn't think she was being taped. She said this in a private meeting and said that, oh, well, these people are so they're deplorable. They're bad people. And, you know, we're going to stick our nose up to them because they don't even deserve to have a voice. And freedom of speech is only for liberals. If you disagree with us, we, you know, we don't, we don't even want to listen to you. You don't deserve to have a voice. This is what they believe. Okay. And Eric Trump's right. How could you be a human being? Okay. And, and support what Kathy Griffin did. 
with a decapitated photo, which is disgusting, okay? Which is, she put down herself, and then she blames the Trump family for bullying her because the first lady came out and said that it's disgusting because her son thought that it was her actual father, his actual father, okay? These people are not human, okay? If you're going to obstruct everything, how can you call yourself someone of the people, of a, uh, of a lawmaker, of someone who is supposed to be in service if you just obstruct everything and deny everything? It's time to work for us. It's time to lower our taxes. It's time to enact better health care. Okay, it's time to clean up the roads and the bridges and and the dilapidated airports. I mean, have you been to LaGuardia recently? I mean, at annual monthly premiums in 39 states using the Obamacare federal exchange increased by 105 percent. That's on average between 2013 and 2017. You've had deductibles going up extremely high. 116% increase in premiums in Arizona. Okay? And you see in Ohio where the president was today. Anthem fleeing Ohio. There's only one insurer in all 88 Ohio counties. There are some states next year that will not even have an insurer on the market. And these obstructionists will not... Do anything. And I blame the Republicans as well. Because where the hell have they been? They're going to take an August recess. And they haven't enacted one thing. One major piece of legislation. And the president has gotten a lot done by himself. For veterans. You have the uh, uh, Veterans Accountability Act. Which has passed the Senate. And has to go through the House. The president tweeted about that. Better health care for our veterans. Um, you know, he's uh, enacted other uh, other measures uh, to take care and support our vets. Um, they announced the modernization of veterans' medical records to ensure electronically integrated medical records for both vets and active service members that will follow our brave soldiers throughout the entire medical process, allowing them to get um, health care wherever at a private hospital will foot the bill for them. They deserve it. The secretary of the VA, David Shulkin, says that his responsibility is to lower the suicide rate. 20 U.S. vets take their lives every day. That's his top priority, he says. And uh, and dealing with that. And you have a president who has North Korea, um, you know, taunting us. And the Saudis uh, possibly uh, alleged a terror attack with Iran. Okay, but... Um, you know, we have all of these problems that the president is dealing with foreign policy and national security. Um, you know, they may, they had the stories uh, last night, the New York Times, Sessions and Trump having a, are fighting in the White House. Sessions has deported criminal illegal aliens who are part of the MS-13 gang or are selling heroin and opioids to our kids and are, ki- are killing people in our streets. He's done an impeccable job. And they're focused on the optics or the arguing. Okay, so what if they argue? People have fights all the time. That's probably healthy to have a disagreement. Okay, but that's what they focus on. They obstruct the Russia. Oh my God, this conspiracy. Okay, now the president today is in Ohio talking about health care. We need to get health care done before the end of the year. And he's supposed to get health care and tax reform done. If he doesn't get it done, it's not really on him. It's on Republicans and, and Congress. 
It's not even on the Democrats. I mean, yeah, they're making it difficult, but the Republicans have to get their act together. Okay? And we're not focusing on the real substantive issues. Infrastructure, which would be a Democratic, you know, it's normally, typically a Democratic ideal, a plan um, that will uh, take care of our roads and bridges and our rivers uh, and put money towards that. But we need growth in our economy, and he's going to get the private um, sector involved in that because government screws everything up. So let the private sector uh, do it on time and under budget, like Trump has always done through his career. When are we going to build the wall? When are we going to have health care and tax reform? Repeal and replace. We've done regulatory relief. The president has uh, done a lot so far. He really has. He has succeeded in what he can do from an executive order standpoint, from renewing trust and uh, our standing in the world. Okay, But... Congress has to get their act together, and they're going to go on vacation in a couple of months. I think they should stay back. Freedom Caucus even said that they'll stay back and get to work. I mean, Americans don't take a month off. They shouldn't take a month off either. What have they done? So, anyway, there's a lot going on in the news, um, and a lot of things that, frankly, should frustrate you, okay? Because we're not getting real work done for, for Americans, you know, the market's looking okay, but we need more, we need tax relief. We need health care reform before the end of the year. I mean, come on. Republicans are just as much to blame. Democrats, you know they're not going to help. And they're, I mean, they, like Eric Trump said, they have no message. They don't even know what they stand for anymore. Um, when we come back, a later segment with Bernadette Duncan Harrison. She is uh, a former radio producer, a friend of mine. She wrote a great book, Yappy Days, behind the scenes with newsers, smoozers, boozers, and losers. Some insights into uh, the radio and TV business and the egos that emerge from it. So we'll have that uh, coming up and some insight. What's Larry King like? What is, who is Lou Dobbs really behind the scenes? So we'll talk about that when we come back. The Neil A. Crystal Show podcast on this June 7th. Making a real impact. I think that's why it's so important to have like voices like yours, for instance, um, because I think that without your voice and without your podcast and your business, you know, who knows? He might have never gotten the care that he needed in the first place. Neil's dedication is to you, the American people. He's getting you the real the deal, deal news that you won't get and miss the media clutter. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. What you need to know, telling it the way it is as you deserve. Subscribe to the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast on iTunes and log on to neilacaruso.com. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me, 
Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTechStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. President Reagan, and neither will you. Passionate talk and real solutions for America on the Neelix Russo Show podcast. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. NeelakeRusso.com and we're back here on the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast. I'm joined by a friend, Bernadette Duncan Harrison, who wrote Yappy Days behind the scenes with Newsers, Smoozers, Boozers, and Losers. It's a very entertaining book. I loved it. Uh, Bernadette, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Neil, for having me. I really appreciate it. So I'm glad we had you on because I read this book cover to cover in about three days as I just couldn't put this book down. And it's fascinating because, well, you know, obviously I'm in radio and TV, but, um, you know, for people who are not, they're always fascinated by personalities and, you know, want to know their personal lives. And a lot of radio personalities share what's going on in their lives, kind of gives them an insight, and, and their fans enjoy that. And um, there's, a, there's a very strong connection between people on radio and, and their fans because there's a direct communication. It's like a phone call with with the listeners, um, and obviously they take phone calls as well. So when you were putting this book together, what was your inspiration for doing It was a bit of a tell-all book. What, what was the inspiration for that? Well, I think you actually suggested in th- this uh, particular conversation where radio talent, radio personalities, the, the use of radio is so much more intimate than any of the other media um, and so when you had Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Larry King, Lou Dobbs, and they're connecting to you through this medium, it is, as a listener, such a personal experience. Um, plus, it's also a little loosey-goosey. You don't have the, the visuals to see. So uh, I loved what I did, and there was such a sense of connection to these hosts. But I was also a, a radio listener, as I still am today, and recognized this amazing intimacy that people still have today in radio. In radio. You hear Sean Hannity talk about how much he loves radio. That's where he sure. comes from. You know, all these folks who've come from radio, there's nothing like it. Well, a lot of people who are in radio and TV will say that a radio allows them to connect better with their audiences because it's more of an intimate medium. Um, And you've been in radio as a producer and still are connected with people in the industry um, for many, many years. And um, why, why do you find that people are just addicted to the medium? I think that radio uh, connection enters the human system uh, differently than what you have with television. Going into the ear versus going through the eye is a different part of the brain. 
you know, just closing your eyes and letting someone enter your brain in that way um, it seems to make a, a, a deeper connection. And then if you have someone like a Sally Jesse Raphael, who I worked with, who, who makes you laugh or in her wonderful way of, of being like a, a fairy godmother in so many ways, just draws you in. Or Tom Snyder. Now, Tom Snyder, interestingly, um, had the ability to talk directly to the viewer. You know, he, he knocked right. down that fourth wall. So he did something that maybe because of his radio background, he he probably was the best radio TV guy to draw that intimacy into television because he, he, he just naturally knew how to break down that fourth wall, which radio does. Right. And so before we get into like the background of people, because there are always so many egos in this business and it's very difficult to work <laughs> with, with people in this business. And maybe I have an ego, I don't know, but um, I try not to. But people just seem to have that uh, that wall around themselves and and um, but before we get into that part of it what do you think makes a good radio host a good entertainer you've been in politics radio uh, hosting and news and um, and entertainment and there's always so much news out there especially today but there always has been what makes someone an effective communicator I would say that they connect to the stuff that makes us human. They teach you something new. They know how to make you laugh. And they listen well. I would say those three things, teach you something new, know how to make you laugh, and listen well. Because that's really engaging with your listener and or viewer. Um, but making someone laugh while you do those other things, um, that's a connection. There are no words, right? You're just laughing. Yeah, that's that's the power of radio is that even we could be talking about the most serious topics and you know, you have an effective communicator who could just, you know, make you laugh, whether it be uh, you know, Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh or you go into like a Larry King type um, who I met Larry King uh, in Los Angeles last April and I was laughing at the story that you told because I found a very similar – well, it, there's a part in here he didn't – I don't know. I don't want to give the book away. But he didn't uh, act the same way he did towards you per se um, to me. But he uh, but he <laughs> certainly did have a, have an ego and had a bit of a um, uh, you know uh, entourage around him when I met him. Uh, wasn't the most welcoming person and I was actually surprised by that. What's um? What is your experience with Larry King like? And I know there's a very um, salacious story in here that you probably don't want to give away because it's uh, it's fascinating to read. I had to read the page like five times. <laughs> well, I had to write it about five times. Yeah, <laughs> it's complicated. It is. So your question is so um, about tell me about Larry King and what was it like to work with him and why uh, why may he come across on on the radio so much better than he does in person. Um, we've both met him. Obviously, you worked with him for a few years. Well, I think that it, it, it's a place where he feels comfortable. Uh, his kind of personality seemed very comfortable on radio, and he could just sort of let loose. Um, he certainly had a reputation behind the scenes, of being kind of a womanizer, but on air... Well, he's only had nine he, wives. <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, 
seven wives, one whom he married twice. But he had, oh, a, well, as they say, me. he also had, <laughs> you know, Angie Dickinson. You know, he, he's had many right. relationships. And um, and he's sort of, he, he was and is larger than life. He's one of those... Sure. Um, one of those personalities in our business that um, I guess because it was at a time when CNN, I mean, he was brought over from radio to CNN uh, and suddenly now he's all over the place. You could see him around the world as a, you know, as a TV entity. Um, But back to um, Larry and his kind of personality, I think, um, I think that he was the every man. And I'll give you an example. Um, he was able to bring on a guest like President Richard Nixon and talk to him in every man terms. Once upon a time, he said to President Richard Nixon, um, so tell me, now that you've been out of the office for all these years, whenever you drive by the Watergate ho- Hotel, you ever want to stop park and kind of go up and see where it all happened you know and to ask president or the former president richard nixon that kind of question um that was brilliant it was so every man ish that that question you would ask him in a bar exactly exactly and you know back in the day you know if ever you go on youtube and and you watch some of those old clips um and you see how stiff and polite everybody was. And then today, it's gone in the other direction. Well, Larry was certainly part of that transition. And I think he made, um, I think he made a name for himself based on that. He would say that himself, that he was just a guy from Brooklyn. Yeah, and it's funny, we're talking to Bernadette Duncan Harrison, author of Yappy Days, um, and you know, the thing that's interesting about Larry King and a lot of radio personalities is that they become larger than life, and we don't, I mean, we're not, um, you know, the end-all, be-all, we're not presidents, um, you know, we don't, we shouldn't be taking ourselves so seriously, yet we have a lot of influence. Um, and can make um, an impact on society. So when you have someone like, you know, Larry King, who, you know, has interviewed the most, um, you know, presidents, has interviewed uh, most prolific entertainers, um, there was an impact that someone like that makes. And, you know, whether you like it or not, people uh, look up to you and have a respect for you because you are on radio and because you are, you know, so with Larry King and, and some other radio personalities, they're on TV as well. So there is, um, there is an admiration. And I don't know if that is, uh, that obviously feeds into the ego. I'm not sure whether that's healthy or not. Um, I think it gets back to the viewer and the listener um, educating themselves. It, you know, you and I both know that, other countries around the world look at us and think, how much do you pay your basketball stars and, <laughs> uh, and actors? You know, why? Right. And why are they on billboards? It's just the culture we live in. Uh, it, it's part of why people around the world may not like us either. It's, it's part of it's, – it's what makes our, our world and our business run, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, look, Nike – uh, hires out all these basketball stars to represent them. Right. Um, and so when it comes to talk show hosts, yeah, we put them on pedestals. 
And, you know, and to be fair, not not all radio hosts make a lot of money. In fact, the majority don't. Um, let me Currently. Ask, currently, anyway. Yeah, currently. Because back in the day, when I... Back in the early days, and some of these guys are still around, they made big bucks. Yeah, and, well, times are, times are changing. There's a lot of uh, media out there. So things are online. We have the podcast. Correct. You know, there's, there is a lot of information out there. And, you know, that kind of goes to one of my questions that I wanted to ask you is the power of talk radio. Because this past election, we've seen really the power of talk radio and cable news, which, you know, guys like Larry King do both. Um, and you have a lot like Sean Hannity does cable news. And it seems to now um, go hand in hand. Uh, and a lot of people credit talk radio with the rise of President Trump and getting his message out there. He's got a lot of supporters in talk radio. It's a more um, conservative medium, although there are liberal um, talk show hosts as well. Um, what what is the what can talk radio do for uh, public discourse? Well, uh, it certainly gave opportunity to President Donald Trump. You know, a lot was said about his becoming a regular on sports radio. Yeah. You know, he used to call in on sports shows uh, leading up to his election uh, long before uh, the swell and realization that, oh, my goodness, this guy is Donald Trump has a very good chance. But leading up to that, he would call into these these um, sports shows talking to guys like him Guys who can relate to the kind of language, you know, the kind of um, short uh, talk that he would do, like, lock her up, you know, <laughs> build a wall. Right, right. It, it, it works, those sound bites. It was shock jock material, uh, and he translated, and he got attention. Well, the blue so, color, and you if you listen to, like, I listen to WFAN in New York City, which is, you know, a legendary sports talk station, and you hear the blue-collar mm-hmm. workers, you know, that call up on their on their lunch break, and they're calling Mike Francesa, or, you know, they call in the morning to Boomer Card, and they're talking right. about same things that President Trump would talk about in different contexts, but, you know, in sports, it's uh, it's the same type of language that they would use. It's the everyman exactly. kind of talk. Right. Exactly. So in, in the case of Donald Trump, this was just great timing. He used uh, the media beautifully, and he was able to connect with the kind of voter that wanted to make change and used it well. And we're you sick know, of politicians. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, that's a case. And it's a perfect example to answer your question where it, it was just everything coming together and it was, you know, perfect for the public discourse. Bernadette Duncan time. Harrison, uh, author of Yappy Days, which is a fantastic and really interesting book uh, about radio hosts, radio guests. Let me ask you about a few guests that you've had. And this is a political podcast, my focus more on the political guests that you've had on, uh, Mike Huckabee you've had on. You also had entertainers that have come on to talk about politics. And we saw in this election, you know, the way that um, uh, entertainers like uh, Katy Perry and uh, Beyonce kind of talked, it seemed they seemed to be talking down to middle America. And that's how middle Americans who voted for Trump felt, that it was the elitist, you know, Hollywood uh, people talking mm-hmm. down to them. 
Well, you've had, this is nothing new, you've had political, you know, you've had actors and musicians on, Michael J. Fox, George Clooney, Cher, um, that you've sure. engineered for um, to get them on radio shows. And, you know, they come on with an agenda usually to talk about liberal politics, um, which, you know, if you have a conservative morning, you know, host that wants to kind of get into uh, salacious stuff, maybe make them look silly, is tough to manage. And you talk about things like that. Um, tell me what your experiences are with some of these uh, high-profile guests. Well, um, in that case, it was, it was sort of interesting working as a producer with those ho- high-profile guests because you got to see the machine of politics from the from how the uh, political movements were using the media and very smart uh, the 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 whole liberal um you know fear of uh losing their their foot in the white house and they went to hollywood right. and they knew they knew hey we'll dazzle the listener with share with michael j fox uh with, all, with george clooney i mean it was just it was brilliant and the funny thing was as a producer i was wondering well, where are all the conservatives why aren't why when are they going to create this branch um in their political drive and connect with people like me but this was it was a wonderful campaign but the crazy thing was i, I would have share on in the morning i'd see her on like tv in the afternoon i'd see her on talk shows at night <laughs> they, yeah they were working it they you know the the um dnc was working it and they i thought they did it very successfully yeah it seems like conservative actors and there are a few tim allen um you know kid rock uh, is a is a trump supporter um very few though that are out there very few entertainers who are republicans who are open about it anyway um do you find that i mean this past election they weren't effective at all would, did you find that back when they first started being rolled out into politics and getting their word out, I mean, Cher was advocating for uh, John Kerry's election over George W. Bush. Um, right. Were, were they, did they have any effect, do you think, on, on the listening audience? I mean, you would know, I mean, people call into the shows. Were they affected by that? or? Um, I don't think it hurt that Cher was on. Okay. I don't think it hurt that Michael J. Fox was on because, again, it, it's like anything you keep – the drum beat on um, something. There's a kind of awareness, right? And back to an early earlier question you had about um, connecting with the audience. In the very least, it's a drum beat. It's awareness, and that's the beauty of talk radio. It 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 brings to the front the kind of topics that people either want to hear, listen to, or want to participate in or they think that this is what is hot right now you know you're creating a whole world in radio bernadette let me ask you this and then uh you know i'll let you go because i appreciate you spending the time and taking the time to talk about this this book is just uh so interesting you could get it on amazon by the way yappy days uh by bernadette duncan harrison um, Lou Dobbs, you wrote about, uh, you were his producer for a little bit. I have to end with this because I found it so interesting because I, I like Lou Dobbs show. I don't know him personally. I met him a couple times in passing in, in the Fox news, uh, building and, um, you know, never had an issue with him. He just smiled at me a couple times, 
but never had an issue with him. And you, and he apparently, when you were going for his uh, executive producer position uh, back in what was it the nineties, he said to you that he is a quote real bastard. And that turned out to be true, apparently, and I was very shocked by this. Um, what about Lou Dobbs was um, uh, turned you off to him? And obviously, I know you don't want to give it away, but I was just – I was shocked by this. I thought of all people – and you have some nice stories in here. I thought that this would be a, a positive story, and it ended on a, on a note that left me kind of surprised. Well, I, I guess it speaks to uh, what goes on behind the scenes, which the book is about Yappy Days. You know, it, it's uh, it's all about behind the scenes, and as the subtitle says, with newsers, schmoozers, boozers, and losers, right? And um, and it's kind of fun because you think, okay, some of these people fall in all of those categories, but in the case of Lou, and and just for the record, it was uh, 2007. When I was working oh, okay. with him, it was, yeah, it's okay. It's at a time when he wanted to transition into radio, and uh, you know, it just interestingly, this was also at a time when uh, there was this this groundswell hoping he would even run for president. So Lou, he had several books out. He had this successful TV show on Fox, and now he wanted to enter into radio. So the company I was with. Um, uh, put me in a situation where they suggested I go on the job interview. And uh, so I met him where he did say that, that famous sentence. Uh, during the job interview, um, I was at CNN. His back was to me for the first seven minutes. So his assistant walked me into the office, sat me down, and Lou was there, but with his back to me for those first few minutes spun around and said those very words, I am a bastard. <laughs> and what do you think of that? Uh, that was not the first words I expected to come from his mouth, but right. it was. And so <laughs> I responded. Uh, and so I heard, and I specialize in bastards. And he um, didn't really respond, but that was about the first and last time we agreed on anything. <laughs> um, unfortunately... But you know what? Like you, Neil, I respected his success. I respected his well-thought-out position. I, I felt that there was a place for him. Obviously, there was because he certainly had success. And I, I think that he liked my quirky guest suggestions. They were certainly not the kind of guests that his staff were getting. So I, I think he felt like... I blew open the wall and, and found people that he eventually even used on his TV shows. Hmm. Um, and Kept things fresh you know, and unique, I, which is tough to do. Yes. And, um, I, I've, you know, it was an experience for, for all. He runs his ship, um, and you can go online and look him up, he, he, and, and you'll discover that he – um, runs a very volatile situation, um, and you would read about it in, in Yappy Days. Um, but I, I held my own and landed the job, and um, uh, I went on to other things <laughs> soon after. You know, I, I, I decided that I, was, I wasn't cut out for his kind of management, right. you know, and... and, and 
uh, I did what I did for almost 30 years. But that was a case where he had a certain kind of personality and I wasn't keen on it. Well, you've been very successful since. I mean, it's very difficult in in this business to manage all the egos. And as a producer, um, and you know, luckily, I mean, I have my own my own program, so I just manage myself for the most part, and you know, a few other uh, staffers. But um, you know, a lot of people, if when you go into these big companies, that and it's not just um, on your talent, but you always have to kind of. Um, massage the talent, you know, and you always have to manage these um, these egos because ultimately they're the boss, even though you are the one who's getting the gas and producing the show. Um, and it's very tricky. It's a it's a tough line to manage. And you know, there could be a a lot of people. Maybe that's the case with Dobbs. I don't know, but maybe he puts on a certain on air shtick, and really his true self is is much different and is much um, dif- more difficult to manage. I don't know why is that case, but there's always just in this in showbiz, I guess, as they say, there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of egomaniacs, um, and it it really is tough to manage. And I give you a lot of credit. I mean, thirty plus years doing that, um, and <laughs> very successful and, and survived. in New York City and survived. So, <laughs> congratulations on that. Well, thank you, and and congratulations on your career as it's evolving and, thank and growing you. so beautifully. I'll try not to treat people uh, like uh, Larry King or Lou Dobbs. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. You promise? I don't know how people can do that. I can't physically talk to someone that way, but uh, but that's what some people are. I do promise. Okay. Good. Good deal. Okay. Yappy days. I'll say I knew you win. Well, we'll be in touch. Yappy days behind the scenes with newsers, schmoozers, boozers, and losers. Bernadette Duncan Harrison. Go check it out. You can get the book on Amazon. It's a great read, and uh, it's a good beach read. It's fun to fun to look at uh, all the different personalities that uh, many people know. It's a bit of an all tell. Uh, tell-all book and uh, very fascinating to uh, to read about all these different personalities. You even talk about Bill Clinton, and there are a lot of people uh, in this book uh, who are very familiar faces, especially in this uh, political environment. So Bernadette Duncan Harrison, again, Yappy Days is the book. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Thank you, Neil. It was a pleasure. All right, Bernadette Duncan Harrison, a good friend of mine, and uh, thank you to her for coming on, talking about her book. It was uh it's really a quick read, a great, um, great book. It's said in in such a tone that she writes it. It's almost like she's telling the story directly to you. It's like you you are listening to the radio, but you're reading the transcript of it. It's written in uh, in such a good conversational way. So it's a good uh, summer read if you are interested. It's on Amazon, Yappy Days, behind the scenes with newsers, schmoozers, boozers, and losers, and a lot of uh, a lot of interesting uh, stories there that uh, about some of these personalities. Uh, so if you're interested in that, uh, I totally recommend this uh, this book. So go and go and get it from a from a radio producer who has seen it all uh, through her uh, years in the business. Um, you know, there's a report today. Just want to end on on this. Uh, you may recall Fast and Furious, where you know Obama handed uh, guns uh, and weapons to. Uh, cartel members so that they can track the guns going across the border. Really smart plan, except when they lost all of these members across the border, all these cartel guys, and we still don't have any of the guns. And they killed uh, a uh, Border Patrol agent, Brian Terry, and we still don't have answers about that. The House Oversight Committee released a new report today slamming former Attorney General Eric Holder and top Obama aides for misleading Congress and attempting to cover up Operation Fast and Furious. 
The detailed report outlines the efforts made by Holder and other officials in the DOJ to conceal evidence and information from the family of Brian Terry. They concealed evidence from the family who deserves answers. The agent who was killed by a drug cartel crew using guns obtained in the failed operation. They just handed over guns. Okay? I mean, they care so much about gun control, they hand it to cartel members. You know, usually the right people have guns. Like our police officers who, you know, are, or those in the London, um, you know, terrorist attack, okay? You had a, a, the first responder to the scene didn't even have a gun, and he was stabbed in the face by the terrorists, who, by the way, again to that in a second, I'll, let me just finish on this, um, the Fast and Furious report. The murder and subsequent investigation revealed that uh, the Operation Fast and Furious, uh, uh, Furious um, permitted criminals to purchase weapons from Arizona gun sh uh, shops in the hopes of tracking those weapons back to Mexico. Now, they sold more than 2,000 firearms. They eventually lost track of 1,400. Two of the weapons found on the scene of Terry's murder were obtained in the operation. But more than five years after Brian's murder, the Terry family, they still wonder about the key details. The Justice Department's obstruction of Congress's investigation contributed to the Terry's family's bid to find answers. They didn't Tell the family. They still don't know what happened, and the government knows. It's sick. Um, now, as far as the London terrorist attacker, okay, there are three terrorists now that have been arrested. Well, they were on the, their radar. They were on uh, their intelligence officials' radars. I mean, listen, they, there was a video. There were multiple videos, documentaries, season-long documentary, where one of the terrorists uh, just to uh, laid out an ISIS flag. And was saying that Sharia was preaching Sharia law and that it's going to come. And, and it was uh, taunting where it was going to be in London. And guess what? It happened. And we were too, not we, well, you know, the intel agencies in London were too stupid to pick up on this. Okay? And there was a lack of sharing of intelligence where the Italian government knew information about one of the terrorists, the second one arrested... And they did not share that vital information with the EU and with Britain. So good riddance to the European Union because all those open borders and the nonsense globalist policies that have allowed and uh, ISIS fighters to infiltrate the open borders, as all of our intelligence officials have testified would happen. And they, okay, are harboring these terrorists who are going across open borders, they don't check the visas, and there is no sharing of intelligence. So let me ask you this. The travel ban, the travel suspension order that President Trump put forth that we have, that I have read the entire law and communicated with you on this podcast, how badly do we need that? The Obama administration identified these seven nations, okay, includes Iran and Syria and Yemen and Somalia, uh, Iraq, and um, identifies these countries, okay, that they do not communicate with us. So on vital information, travel information, they don't tell us who they are. So we have no idea what people are coming in from these countries. And yet we have a political effort in the courts and by, you know, media matters and by all these, you know, George Soros funded groups to politicize this and make it more than it is. 
it is necessary. In fact, there's a State Department terror um, threat and a and a warning against travel to and from Europe. If I am the State Department, I shut down travel. I suspend travel for the summer to and from Europe with a few exceptions. I make it an exception that if you are already in Europe and you come from America, you can prove that you are a U.S. citizen with our vetting procedures, obviously. Um, you are welcome back. We will take you back. But if you are in on a visa or for whatever reason, you are not going to come back to the U.S., okay? And you cannot travel on vacation to Europe or come here. It is too dangerous. We are seeing attacks every day in places that should be safe. It's like the Middle East and Europe. So enough with the political correctness. It is time to suspend travel from those countries that do not communicate with us because what's going to happen? We're going to have a terrorist in here, possibly do, that was not communicated to us, that their past was not communicated, and then we find out that they were on the radar of investigators, that they taunted us, and they were not apprehended. And that's what happened with the London terrorist attack. Okay? And a lot of people are saying, you know, people that's, uh, approached me uh, and told me uh, on Twitter, well, we need to love each other. I mean, all well and nice. All love is great. Okay? But... That's not going to defeat radical Islam. In the holy month of Ramadan, we have had about 150 people killed, more than 150 uh, killed in this holy month of Ramadan. The fact is that these radical Islamic extremist jihadists have hijacked the Muslim religion and they have made it their mission to kill in the name of Allah using the book of the Quran. We need to wake up. We need to face reality. It is a dangerous ideology. We did not defeat communism without naming the enemy, without pointing out the ideology that has to be destroyed, that seeks to destroy our freedom and our values. So it's time to fight that ideology. And it's not just going to be in fighting and warfare. It's going to be cyber. And it's going to be in protecting our country and, frankly, shutting our doors. And that means building the wall. That means surveillance at the border. And that means communication across our intel agencies. Okay? And I don't mean communication like in 2011, changing the law to allow people, people's names that were unmasked in intel reports to be shared among all of our intel agencies, you know, so that they can hide leakers. I'm talking about communication among countries so that we know who the hell is coming into our country. I mean, folks, basic stuff here. So, question for you and tweet me at Neil A. Caruso, Facebook Neil A. Caruso. Do we need the travel ban? So, you can communicate with me online about that because it is so overdue for that. Uh, that's it for the podcast today. Thank you so much to Bernadette Duncan Harrison for coming on, talking about Yappy Days. A great book, a very, very funny read. And if you're looking for some humor amidst all the political conversation, it's a good read for you. Stay in touch with me on social media, uh, at Neil A. Caruso and everything, and at Caruso Enterprises, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, God bless you, and God bless America. The Neil A. Caruso Show podcast is a production of Caruso Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining driven factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Caruso on social media and log on to neilacruso.com to sign up for Caruso's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.